Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the BestBallProds.com comic book podcast. As always, I'm dead. Joining today, we have Birdie. Hello. And yeah, uh, keeping things going um, until we get like a fucking third chair or once those books are done. We're going to be taking, like I said, a break from doing the event stuff, despite the fact that uh, fucking Heroes in Crisis and Doomsday Clock continue to fucking trundle along. Yeah. And it's looking like Heroes in Crisis, despite starting later, will end before Doomsday Clock does. Yeah. And from what I've seen and what little of it I've read, it seems like Tom King is set out to be the buzzkill for the entire DC universe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I read like the little uh, four part follow up to the button that they did uh, with Bat in the Batman and Flash books. Okay. And yeah, that was just depressing. Yeah, I just I just saw images from uh what's it called? Uh uh the price the thing that just came out, but a crossover where Flash is mad at Batman about Wally or something. Yeah, that that was the thing I'm talking about. Oh, okay. But that's what that is? Alright. Yeah, it yeah, it was like like both of them are just freaking the dick out and uh and Gotham girl is fucking back at it again, but this time she's crazy, but like more so remember those two fuckers, Gotham and Gotham girl. Yeah. They occasionally pop up. Not often. Yeah. No, I kind of wish. Yeah. Kind of wish someone other than Tom King would write them. Yeah. At the end of the price, uh, Batman said that, yeah, I'm going to train her to be a superhero for realsies. Oh, goody, because uh, that, that always works out for Batman's warts. Yeah, totally. Especially the ones that are already dying. Yeah. It's like, hey, small boy with leukemia, do you want to be Robin? It's like, oh, golly gee, Willikers, do I? Then immediately get shot. You see Kite Man going by the window with a fucking forty-five. Yeah, it's a, like a, there's there was an ad, uh, not ad. There was a joke. Uh, did you ever watch this '90s uh, show called The Critic? Uh, I've seen clips of it. Yeah, one of uh, well, one of their favorite things to do was when they did their little mockbuster jokes, where he was watching a movie and it was some mock-up of something that's famous, and we made fun of the uh, made fun of just Clint Eastwood movies in general, and just listed all of the cliched partners that a Clint Eastwood cop character could have and how quickly they die. <laughs> this partner was only two days from retirement. And this like, partner like, back. That, like, like they just literally blow up as they introduce themselves. <laughs> Do they blow up a dog? Yeah. And uh, a leprechaun. Holy <laughs> toy, I just joined the forest today. My name is Officer O'Shaughnessy. <laughs> That's about it, actually. That's about what the joke was. I'll be your lucky charm. Hoity toy, fiddly dee potatoes. I wonder why everyone that I hire that comes from other countries eventually leaves this website. As I do my most stereotypical Irish accent. (sighs) Anyway. You're a little third Reiki, baby. (laughs) Ah, so anyway, uh, yeah, we're here to talk about fucking comic books now. Uh, we're doing like we did last time, where we talk about uh, two books each, 
uh, just shows shows tend to drag a little bit, and uh, like lately especially, and so just getting things speeding up, getting a bit more energy out there, less things to talk about. Once we get fucking a third chair, we'll probably go back to doing our regular things. But until then, uh, yeah, let's fucking talk about goddamn books. So cool. Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, so female furies. As the six issue mini series uh, written by uh, Cecil Castellucci, there by um, Adriana Mello, uh, and it is about surprise, surprise, the female furies. Uh, they are the they are grainy goodnesses fucking attack force from Apocalypse, and this is a flashback a bit. Uh, this goes back to when Bardo was still on the furies working for Granny. Uh, but Barda is not the focus of it. Uh, this time the focus of this book is, um, well, A, Granny. Uh, flashes back a lot to, like, her past, uh, leading to the, like, you know, her involvement in the rise of Darkseid. As well as, like, her eventual ending up training the fucking Furies. As well as her position within, uh, the Organization of Apocalypse. As well as a Fury I have never heard of before. Uh, called Aureli? Aurelie de- I don't know. To, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. Okay, I'm but, not looking at it, so I couldn't tell you. Uh, but yeah, she is. She is the bestest fury. She leads the furies, and she can beat any of them in a fist fight, no matter what. There is an image. Uh, there's a fucking two page spread in this book that shows her just straight up one hitting every other fury, including Barda. In fact, it looks like she puts her in a chokehold so hard Barda loses an arm for a second. I don't know, just weird art shit. But yeah, that one lady who's like in weird bondage gear with the ponytail, she wraps her up in her own fucking bandages. She suplexes the one that looks like the creeper. It's shit like that. Um, yeah, this entire book just seems to be me tooing Apocalypse. Like, hashtag me too. Because every... Because, like, Barta... Like, uh, Granny Goodness's whole experience on the planet is... Hey, I helped... Hey, I fucking killed the person who... I killed the person who fucking Darkseid took over for. And I... And, yeah, everything's going great. Darkseid, me, we're fucking... Everything's fucking cool. And then the next day, literally every single person on the council... On, like, fucking Darkseid council is like... Hey, what are you doing out here, you fucking bitch? Get back in the kitchen! And they put her with the fucking kids uh, when she's like, hey, my furies are fucking dope. All the all the guys are like, yeah, they're fucking hot as hell. Don't know why they get, don't know why I got them fighting, though. Should they come to my room and fuck me? And then one guy from that fucking from that fucking group of dudes just straight up does. Like uh, like fucking the Aureli, the lady I just told you about, she goes to his room every night to so that the rest of the furies don't have to get fucking don't have to deal with this fucking dick bag. And she eventually somewhat betrays Apocalypse by killing a by killing one of its higher-ups because he wanted to fuck a child. Okay. Yeah. I know Apocalypse is bad. It seemed to yeah. be equal opportunities bad in the past. Yeah, it, it, it didn't seem like there was, like, like, from what I understand of Apocalypse, yeah, all of it's shitty, but it's kind of just, like, everyone is shitty to everyone. Yeah, like there, like there wasn't a whole lot of 
like gender politics going on in Apocalypse. Everyone was equal levels of not dark side, so dog shit. And they all like had a level of not respect, but I guess on Apocalypse, hatred is essentially respect. Yeah, no, it, like, like it's sort of like I hate you, I hate you. Okay, see you in the morning. Basically. <laughs> Just- like, there's no real contempt. It's just a statement of, well, this is the way things are. <laughs> yeah. But having Desaad up there hanging out with a bunch of other fucking dude bros, laughing it up at Granny Goodness, like, oh, yeah, you got fucking women fighters. That's fucking cute. <laughs> I'm going to go over here and just fucking, I don't know, drink or whatever. Yeah, that that sounds more like Golden Age Justice League shit, where they just kept expecting Wonder Woman to be the school marm or something. Yeah, like fucking, uh, like he, like she just straight up says, like at, uh, early on, she goes to the war room and she just straight up says, like, "Hey, yeah, my furies can fucking do this. They are great." And then both dudes, uh, like there are three people in the room. Two of them, uh, one of them looks kind of familiar. I can't remember his name. He is like, I think it's, I think it's Glorious Godfrey. Like, okay. like red hair, big cape, big collar. Yeah, he. Yeah, he just like they just stick to things they can handle, and then and then Desaad pipes up, pipes up. It's like, yeah, we don't want these fucking furies making our warriors more shitty. Which it, weren't the furies like respected and good warriors? Yeah, like aside from like Granny Goodness, aside from like one or two of. Um, Darkseid's generals, the Furies were generally the people that, like, if if Darkseid really needs someone to get taken down, he sends the Furies. Yeah, that's, that's their, that, 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 like, like I said, I'm not super familiar with, like, Apocalypse shit, but what I knew about it is everything's shit, but it's equal shit, and the Furies are the fuck, and the, and the Furies are the fucking shit. They're the top dog, except for, like, fucking the people in charge. And so having the Furies be, and see, having the having the Furies be like reduced to this level, like there, there's a fucking like there's a five panel page that shows like all right, yeah, so the Furies are be, yeah, so the Furies are being tested. They're test they're testing them on their baking skills. They had to look in the evening gown and how they smile. Like what? That just what the fuck, man? And this yeah. is happening to Barda. Yeah, I don't want to sound... I, I know it's going to come up, but it sounds more like something that would happen on New Genesis. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because, like, Orion did shit like this in previous DC stuff. Yeah, until the rest of the universe beat the fuck out of Orion, Orion was kind of a prick. And so, having all this happen, and also have it happen to... And also to having our main focal point be... Granny Goodness, who has been one of the bigger bads of fucking like this new genesis, like the fucking like God stuff. And then also having the main focal point not be Barda, but be a character who is in every way better to Barda, who you never heard of until now. This book feels like it was written with an agenda that they are that they are like trying to force onto apocalypse that apocalypse didn't need like apocalypse was shitty. They don't need to make it gender shitty. 
Yeah, like... I'm trying to think... Like, I was, I'm genuinely surprised that you said that this is where this was going, because particularly after um, Mr. Miracle, I was kind of... Like, if, if you were going to do, like, a gendered thing with the female Furies, I was just going to assume you would do a thing not specifically about sexism, but just about the how the ideology of apocalypse shaped Barda as a person. Yeah, like that is like like ha- having it be like like at the end of fucking um at the end of Mr. Miracle, like the Furies were still like bad, but they were like on good terms. So having the Furies interacting with the gendered culture of our world that 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 seems like a more interesting idea for a for a like story about for a story about sexism than having apocalypse just be sexist. Yeah. So I'm not really sure why he why fucking uh, Castellucci decided to go down this route. Uh so yeah, like writing wise, character wise, this isn't exactly a fucking big banger of a fucking book. Uh, the best thing I can, sound like it. yeah, the best thing I could say for it is that the art is actually really goddamn solid. Uh, like it's it's actually really interesting. Like when they when they go into the flashback stuff, they go into like the like the art style is still the same. It's just all the coloring and shading kind of like rolls back to an older style of things like. Like whenever they do the flashback stuff showing like young granny goodness and like the takeover apocalypse, it almost looks like a Joel Jones book. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Joel Jones. Yeah, and then when they get into the uh newer stuff, it looks like, you know, more of a newer comic, just just from again, coloring and shading. Uh, which isn't which isn't terrible. Like uh like the Furies all look fucking great. Uh Dark Side. Dark Side looks good like everyone everyone looks good like the environments and stuff they still have the elements of like old school like fucking 70 sci-fi stuff where just weird energy with black fucking circles in it going by all the windows yeah it's it's good art that's just kind of wasted on a very very obviously agended book yeah. which is a shame I fucking love Barda and she deserves better than this. Fuck, she is the person on the fucking front goddamn cover. She is the one fucking flying out, and she's not the focus of the story. Actually, I'm just going to fucking look up. I want to see if Aureli is actually a character, or if I'm just misremembering. Okay, um, yeah, looking at it, Aureli has been around for a while. She was in, she was in the 70s. Uh, she was introduced to Mr. Miracle number nine in the 70s. Okay. Uh, yeah, she, yeah, she joined uh, the Female Furies uh, from New Genesis. She wanted to dance, but that's a crime or whatever. Uh, they brought her back to Apocalypse and... Barda tried to help her, but then she was killed by the guy she kills in this book. So yeah, they took a, they took an old character who was not this, 
made her a Mary Sue almost, and then just fucking. And it's like, yeah, the story's about her. Also, like rape and shit happens on Apocalypse. You thought it was just fire pits and badness? Nah, son. Yeah, and that's fucking Female Furies. Which is a goddamned shame, man. Yeah, because Barda is one of my favorites. Barda is amazing. Barda is a fantastic fucking character. And honestly, if people are fucking like talking about, hey, I want representation. Goddamn Barda is one of the, is a fucking amazing female character in comics. And she has been for decades. And so giving her a backseat in this goddamn book. Fucking Granny Goodness too. Granny Goodness is amazing. Well, she can be amazing, but she's being used to shit a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, man. Just fuck. This goddamn book. I'll be talking about good DC shit with my next pick, but yeah, Birdie. All right. Well, on to DC stuff that I'm not sure if it's good or not yet, but it's weird. The new Dial H for Hero. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, it is. Dial H is always weird, man. Yeah. Hell, Dial H technically has a story about a fucking transgendered stripper. Yeah. Yeah. And I... I have so much trouble trying to talk about this series. Like, because... <laughs> Well not, well, not this specific series, this franchise, because, okay, so for those who are not familiar, and I actually I couldn't blame you if you didn't, because this is kind of obscure. Yeah, Dial H is a bit of a niche series. Like, it was part of the New 52, like, second wave, but even and, then, it was still a pretty niche title. Yeah, but as, as a sign of, like, they're actually having series more often now than they used to. Oh, yeah. Because, like, the first series started in 1966. The second one started in 81. The third one started in uh, 2003. Yeah. That was actually my introduction to the series. The fourth one started in 2012. And the fifth one just started this year. I've, I've seen bits and pieces of the, of the one from 2003. I kind of want to read the whole thing, but it's not well collected yet. Maybe if this does well, they'll do that. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah. Like, like I said, that was my introduction to the series and it was an, I'm just, I'm just going to say like, it is a, it is very much a early two thousands comic where it is taking like this goofy campy idea and trying to make it dark and cool. Okay. But for the most part, it manages to, it manages to still have a, it manages to still have compelling stories with these characters and keep a bit of the ridiculousness just inherent in the concept, and not get too edge lordy. Okay. But I guess for for the uninitiated. But Di- yeah, uh, so the base concept of Dial H. Yeah. So Dial H is literally a dial for like. A rotary phone. Remember those? Probably not. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you specifically dial four three seven six. Yes, which on in a rotary phone. Which, if you look at like how old text messages like split up 
the letters of the alphabet across the nine digits, the 10 digits on a telephone, it can spell out hero. Yes. And you're literally dialing you, for hero. Yeah. And when you do that, uh, the, the mechanics change from series to series, but the, the thing that people like about it as a concept is that a random person who happens to get one of the phone, these are not like random. It's not like any phone you dial. You have to have the specific dial itself to use this on. Yeah. And you dial eight, four, three, seven, six, and you get to become for some limited amount of time, a random superhero. Yes. For some of them, it is, it is like, it is, it is like implied to be just completely random. It's fully out of the ether. You are a hero. Um, in the more recent books, in the 2012 book, uh, they expanded on it, saying that you were instead getting the powers of a random hero from a random dimension. Yeah, with the potential and that to random book is weird. <laughs> yeah, you have the potential to randomly get one of the heroes from the universe you're in, and they also bring in the concept of the S dial, which is the sidekick dial, which then also gets into weird rapey stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I like the concept of the S dial, not so much their implication of how it actually goes about dealing with people's psychic, dealing with people's psyches. Yeah. Talking a lot about that shit tonight, and I do not like it. It's kind of unavoidable. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but still, just... The reason that this book has, despite being incredibly erratic, still managed to come back over and over again is the fact that it is a it is very much a fucking comic book writer's wet dream of an of a concept. Yeah. And it is and it is something that is a very niche title because it appeals to people like me who want to see new shit in comics. Yeah, although this is technically not new shit. It's technically not but, new uh, shit, but it is it's it's an old concept that keeps bringing back new shit. Yeah. Like getting the chance to see essentially unbridled creativity from comics writers and artists. Yeah. Like in like in the 2012 series, one of the first fucking things they brought, one of the first fucking characters they brought in was a guy called like Smokestack or something who was yeah, just. Yeah, that was, that was the first hero who was like, he was like essentially t uh, Tim Curry's character from uh, Fern Gully. Yeah, basically. But like, but the Slenderman. Like like, yeah, but yeah, just like Slenderman. <laughs> yeah, and then another character, and another guy they brought in, another guy they got was essentially, I think, like Apathy Man or whatever, just a guy who made people give up because they couldn't care enough to w about what they're doing. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, just shit like that of just bring in these fucking. Giving creative people a chance to be creative while still telling a comic book story is something I goddamn love, and it's something that we do not see enough of in modern comics. I say as I gesture to Marvel Comics and Civil War 2. Yeah. But, so, I'm still currently, I'm going to talk about the 2012 series when I'm finished because I'm still working my way through it, and, like, as I'm reading it, I'm like, how the fuck was this not written by Grant Morrison? But, I know, uh, dude, right? That shit is fucking insane. <laughs> but I'm only, like, a third of the way through it, so I kind of want to, like, the last thing I remember, uh, a being made out of literally, literal nothingness was beaten by a superhero who was a chicken head on a hula hoop. Yep, yep, that's character. Cock-a-hoop. 
Which even I think even in the story, they're like the, the character is literally a joke. I don't know why you turned into that. Yeah, and uh, and what's even funnier uh, is like there's actually like it's it's weird with a series that has like a, a technically a rape scene. There, there's a point where like he turns to essentially Apache chief, and it's just like I am not going outside looking like this. I will get stoned to death, motherfucker. This is incredibly racist. Yeah. Which was just a fucking great scene of just an old, of just a, like person walking into a room. It's like, hey man, how's it going? Fucking, I don't know, dude. When's this gonna go wear off? God damn it! But anyway, new dilation. So yeah, moving on to the new series. Uh, they seem to have changed the mythos again, Goody. as far as I can tell. Because uh, unless I miss, I might have missed something from previous series. I don't know. But so this kid named Miguel, uh, when he's younger, he gets, I don't know where they are exactly. Let me see if I can check. I got the issue in front of me before that. Uh, no. Okay. Uh, so this kid um, uh, nearly drowned in a pool and named Miguel, and Superman saved him from drowning. And so... From that moment on, he's kind of been something of a daredevil, but he's also worshipped heroes. But at the same time, because he's seen death, he's also not super stupid about um, what kind of shit you do, what can you do or not do. Yeah, he's a, he's a risk taker, but he's one of those ones that like is serious about it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm going to jump out of so, plane, but only after I fucking triple check my shoot. Yeah. But, so when he gets peer pressured into doing a ramp over a cliff, that's obviously going to go wrong. Uh, he still goes through with it, but he's, of course, flown to his death when literally the dial H phone appears before him as he's falling, kind of like uh, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse appeared before uh, the detective in uh, Roger Rabbit. Just like, you want to get out of this mess? <laughs> you talk to me. <laughs> Yeah, that's new. Um, from what I remember, again, of just old series, it just kind of, the dial has just kind of, they've just found it. It's, it's not been like a, yeah, it's not been a horrible situation never, that it pops. It's just, oh, hey, look, a fucking phone dial. Yeah. And so when he does that, um, he calls it. And so for some reason, whenever someone gets one of the dials, uh, apparently in this in this series, it's in the current universe and whoever is in the universe knows that they could potentially be one of the listings called because we then cut to the next page where Robin, um, Maxwell Lord, <laughs> uh, Harley Quinn, Lobo and Alfred all show up with a four on their foreheads because it's apparently possible that in this universe, Miguel could turn into one of them because, and I don't know how this works. It hasn't explained yet. Because instead of turning into one of them, he turns into the most 90s motherfucker ever who calls in. I think it's meant to make fun of Rob Liefeld, even though they show me because he's called Monster Truck. (laughs) Where he is like an amalgam of 90s tropes. Okay. Except he's except he has a, a truck engine built into his back. Naturally. Does the truck engine co- is the truck engine covered in pouches or does it have a massive gun? 
Um, let's, I'm or to, I'm better yet, is the truck engine itself a massive gun? No, the uh, the thrusters on his arms are guns. Okay, just just making sure. <laughs> yeah, if we're really shit in the nineties, you got to make you gotta go full, got a whole hog in this. Yeah, and they also I and I, okay, so the art by this is done by. Uh, let me see if I can say the full name correctly. Um, it's not look. Can we move to the back again. The Death Star Prods comic podcast talking about sexual assault and mispronouncing names since 2011. I'm sorry, but they just they stepped the, but uh, DC Comics has started moving the credits to the back of the book, which is kind of annoying. But, A little uh, bit. Yeah. So it's uh, Joe Quinones. Quinones is the artist. And I kind of appreciate him because I think whenever he changes one of the superheroes that's deliberately a reference to a certain era of comics, he's going to change the art style to match. Okay. Which is kind of impressive because he mimics '90s art style while making it look kind of good. Oh, nice! That is but, uh, that is actually a talent. Yeah, well, I kind of like this artist. Uh, it's just um, I can't tell. But I, it, much like most Dial H series, I have no idea what the fuck is going on. <laughs> that is that's fair, I guess. Because. I'll just tell you the last panel of the book. Um, Greetings, Miguel. We have spoken before. Who is this? I am the operator, calling you from a place called the Heroverse. I need your help. The device you hold is extremely dangerous. You must protect it. The agents of the Thunderbolt Club will go to any lengths to get their hands on it, even if it means your death. Yeah, no, that's all new. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's, that's... I mean, yeah, I'm talking about wanting new shit. I'll take it, but. But the, the thing about the dial, like, I, I know we said dial, the, the, the fun thing about Dial H is that it's anthology nature. It's like you can write kind of whatever you want with it. Yeah. But um, it's just the weird thing with this is just like I'm having only read the t- uh, bits of the 2003 series and some of the 2012 series. I don't know how the if there's any consistent mythology on how the dial is supposed to work. So as I'm trying to figure that out constantly, they seem to be constantly changing the rules. So I'm trying to figure out if I'm missing something or if it's just, they keep changing things. Yeah. I think it is. They just keep changing things. In which case I'm just going to go, fuck it. Might as well read a little of this. <laughs> yeah. Cause from what I remember of just like, so I have not so I've not 100% um read all of the old stuff. I have I am I am passingly familiar with some of the old stuff. Yeah. But it's just I just I, I just love this idea as the idea. I want to read uh there's a there's a issue from the Silver Age I want to read where uh apparently uh the owner of the H dial um the, the Justice League are getting their butts kicked by the Injustice Gang because the current Injustice Gang knows all their powers and moves and has figured out ways to defeat them. So he just gives them each the H dial to turn them into someone else. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm actually reading that right. I'm actually reading up on that right now. And I was like, I kind of want to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so like the it's like the idea with all this. Like the like the H dial stuff is just you will dial it up and then random hero. Yeah. 
I've, I've never heard of the, I've never heard like the idea of it, a, like having essentially a roulette wheel on whoever the fuck you turn into, or B, hearing that non-powered people could get involved in this. Because like how how much would it fucking suck? It's like you're fighting this fucking massive supervillain or whatever. All right, it's your time, or whatever. Dial it up and turn to fucking Alfred Pennyworth. Yeah, at which point your only power is call Batman. <laughs> no, your only power is fucking Queensbury rules and get a shotgun. Yeah. Those are Alfred's two fucking moves. Unless, it, unless it's Alfred from the Injustice universe, in which case he t- he pops a pill and kicks everyone's ass. Word. <laughs> this would like, not be the worst thing in the world, but... <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm a butler, sir. I'm here to take out the trash. Ah. <laughs> oh. That would actually be fucking sick. I kind of want to see that now. I want to see someone dial up Alfred Pennyworth from Injustice and just watch him fucking go to town on these motherfuckers. Oh, man. So much good and so much bad from Injustice. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, new Dial H. Yeah, um, I mean, I like it. It's hard. It's always hard to kind of predict how Dial H is going to work as someone who's read previous series. Like, I remember an issue from the I like the only one of the few issues I remember from the 2003 series that stuck with me was when some poor schmo uh, got turned into an electric woman and got stuck like that. And so his friend, his male friend, kept trying to fuck him. <laughs> no, he did fuck him. Oh, he did? Okay, I didn't remember that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, like, essentially, like, the day, like, the day after it happens, and he, like, goes to confess to his friend, like, fucking dude, his friend gets him drunk, and then has sex with him. Oh, that's disturbing. <laughs> and then, I mean, the next morning, they wake up, and he's like, what? The actual shit, you fucking piece of garbage. And his buddy's like, but I love you. So he flies off. She becomes a stripper. And then every night he gets kicked out of the fucking strip club. Turned into just a total fucking wreck. He's like, wait, please. I need to see her. I'm only giving. And he doesn't have that accent because he's from fucking New York or whatever. I'm just giving him that accent because it sounds a lot more pathetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that's what my voice naturally goes to. Sure. But no, yeah, that is one of the weirder issues of that fucking book. Okay. It sticks with you, though. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, that is the thing I remember about that book, other than fucking Caveman Superman. Because I, well, I think that's the final yeah. issue of the series, where we flash back to, like, 50,000 BC or whatever, and, like, a caveman gets the H-Dial, turns into a hero, and then dies on the moon. Well, that would be a thing. Yeah. And that's the end of the book. Yeah, that book also uh, brings back a uh, Robbie Reed, uh, one of the more well-known characters to use the H dial. Okay, yeah, he's the one who, according to what I've been reading, is the one who gives the Justice League the H dial so that they can fight the Injustice Gang. Yeah, uh, whatever. He, yeah, he was, I think, like the longest time user of the H dial. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and according to the 2003 series, when Robbie Reed shows back up, the mo- if you use the H dial long enough, you'll eventually not be able to use it, but have every superpower you've ever had. 
So this would be weird for the guy from the 2012 series when he all of a sudden gets like fucking like dog rocket powers and cockahoop. Yeah. So I guess let's talk about that 2012 series you want to talk about a bit. Well, uh, I mean, I can talk about it. I want to finish it before I talk about it in detail. Uh-huh. But, uh, God, fuck, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, I downloaded it. I knew I was going to get into something when DC sold an entire 400-issue series for five bucks. Jesus. But, uh, and I knew and I know enough about I knew enough about Dial H going into it to be curious. But then when I saw what was happening, I was like, holy fuck, how is this not Grant Morrison? <laughs> am I on something? <laughs> yes. Am I on Grant Morrison? Do I just and it help it doesn't help that uh the artist for at least the the uh covers is the guy who did other Grant Morrison series like Doom Patrol. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Which just adds to the deja vu. <laughs> yeah, just I'm reading a book that I feel like I've read before, but I know I haven't. What the shit is happening? You, you just you just look you just look up into your fucking wall and all of a sudden see people reading you like that one panel on Animal Man. All of a sudden you're the psycho pirate. But yeah, uh I know, like, it's clear that what they were going with is one of the. I mean, they've done before, like in the two thousand three series, the, the like someone who doesn't deserve to have the H dial ending up with it. But even from what little I've I've read, I kind of like uh, both Manto and uh, was Nels. I think is what he calls himself, Nelson Gent. Yeah. Uh, I like I like uh, both of them as characters, but. Jesus Christ, the description of the mythology just leaves my head spinning. And I'm like, oh, no, yeah. And this, <laughs> yeah, trying to get any kind of like hard and fast rules about Dial H is it's a bit of a dude, it's a bit of a fucking tall order. But yeah, it's still a fucking, it is a fantastic concept that has led to some pretty good books. They've just all been kind of weird. Yeah, there's no way to do this. Like, I'm curious how, like, I mean, 60s books were weird, but, like, in sort of just, like, a conceptual way, not really how they were read. Yeah. But just just maintaining the concept of Dial H long-term feels like you have to be crazy. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I kind of want to see a Dial H movie. I think I would rather see a Dial H TV series. Like, like one or the other. Like fucking DC Universe. Like I, something DC related Dial H, yes. But I'm of the opinion that because Dial H is specifically very much an anthology concept, you kind of have to do it TV series wise. Yeah, unless okay, you're yeah, that's going fair. to commit to a lot of like short movies. Um, I'm more of the opinion that like an ongoing TV series, like a Twilight Zone type thing, where you do a couple of episodes with one character having the dial and also don't change the rules mid series. Yeah, no. So <laughs> yeah, pick yeah, a set so. of rules and stick with them for the entire, at least the season. If you, if you want to change the rules next season, that's one thing, but don't change the rules every season <laughs> yeah. during the season. <laughs> yeah. So we wait. So we wait for a couple more shows from the DC universe app to come out, see how the, con- see how the quality is doing post Titans. Yeah. If it is doing all right, then we start then we start the online grassroots movement of getting a Dial H series. 
which will lead to nothing. But then after we've stopped doing this for a couple of years, they'll say, hey, we're doing a Dial H series. I'm going to go, we fucking called it. So that's how I see this going. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious. I mean, uh, uh, a lot of this like wonder comic stuff is like when Bendis, I, this is more than what, more than what uh, he's done with Superman. This is kind of what I'm happy Bendis is doing is like bringing back these obscure, weird, wonderful DC concepts. Well, this is a Sam Humphreys book. Yeah, I know. But the wonder comics imprint, yeah, that's not the wonder comics banner, which is kind of Bendis's idea. I think. Yeah, he's essentially, I guess, the Gerard way of it. Yeah, maybe. or like, or like the Warren, is it Warren Grant, Warren Lee, Warren, fucking the Wildstorm guy. Yeah, but either way, uh, I I'm glad Warren this Ellis. Exists. Oh, Warren Ellis. Okay, yeah, I was like, who are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, that that's what it was. Warren Ellis, I believe, he was the one he put in charge of the Wildstorm. Yeah, which still hasn't but, amounted to anything. Yeah, and still have not brought back. Um, or at least re-released uh, Gen 13, because fuck me, I guess. Yeah, fuck us. Hey, what? what, do you like a book from DC? What, are you stupid? <laughs> now, here's the 19th hardcover re-release of Batgirl. Not what? even the good Batgirl. Not <laughs> Neo-Batgirl. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, no, I would recommend at least try... Like, I can't really say... You have to understand how Dial H works to read this comic because the way Dial H works changes from series to series. So all I can really say is if you're curious about the idea of dialing a phone and becoming a superhero for a while, then maybe check this out. Yeah. That's about all I can say about the concept. I will be getting to it eventually. I know people who don't like it. I know uh, Caveman has said he really does not like Dial H. Then you got me. uh, but so it depends on the person. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I think you should. I think it should be at least checked out. I as basis. That's my recommendation, basically. All right then. So speaking of old DC stuff, uh, let's talk about Captain Marvel. Or I guess one of these days we're gonna have to fucking relent. I'll also call him Captain Marvel. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so Shazam. Uh, it's Jeff John, yeah, new Jeff John's book. Uh, I believe it's part of a twelve-issue miniseries or like maxi series or something. Possibly. Uh, so I've read some of this too, and I need. And I'm gonna see it. Uh, I'm gonna see it regardless. But I need to ask Deadman a question. How by reading this, how badly have I spoiled the movie for myself? So the movie just came out. Yeah. So I'm just going to say to the folks at home. If you are interested in seeing that movie, which I 100% recommend, it is a fantastic movie that you should definitely see. But I'm going to be spoiling some stuff because it is one of the few fucking movies that does not give away the goddamn ghost in the fucking trailers. Yeah, like if if the if the spoiler at the end is what I think it is based on these comics, then yeah, they didn't allude to this shit at all. Yeah, like but here's the great thing. They have scenes in the trailer from after the reveal, and it still wasn't spoiled. Yeah, so... Which is fucking amazing. So kudos, Warner Brothers Media... I can't believe I have to say that. I know, right? Kudos, Warner Brothers uh, Marketing Department for not spoiling what, if I think it's what I think it is, 
one of the best reveals in a superhero movie in recent memory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in the Shazam book, uh, Billy Batson is staying with his fucking, um, you know, foster, foster family. family. Uh, and because this, oh, oh, this is another thing I love about this. And uh, from what I could tell the movie, the idea that adoptive parents or foster parents are not inherently evil. Oh no. Yeah. Fucking the move in the movie, his foster, like his foster parents are the best people. Yeah. Just and straight based up. On, and based on what I've read of this first issue, uh, a part of uh, Billy's arc is not obsessing over who his birth parents were and growing to love the family he's with, which is a concept I can get behind. Yeah. hundred percent. And based on, since, since you're adopted, I guess you could, you probably get that concept as well. But, uh, a bit lessened, but yeah, I still get it. Okay. Like, like, Unlike a lot of people who were like, you know, adopted when they were kids, I was adopted at birth, so I've only ever really known my family as my family. Fair enough. So there was never like a, so never like a, oh, you're a new person, but one day I'll eventually grow and call you family. It's just, no, from jump, here's my family, and then somewhere else are the people who fucking poop me out. Fair enough. Okay. But no, like the, the idea of accepting your family, accepting that family is not who you're related to and who... And instead, who fucking just loves you and cares for you. That is an idea that I 100% get behind. And it is an idea that is done pretty well in the movie. Cool. Uh, like, like all the kids, they all the kids manage to get a decent amount of characterization. They're, they're, they do still get like the, you know, just the one thing about them. But it is, the kids are all like well acted and charming and have decent chemistry with each other. And yeah, so anyway, in the Shazam book, um... Billy's foster family, uh, all the kids in that, they all have Shazam powers. Yes. None which, of them have yeah, none of them have names yet. Yeah, which is uh, they make the joke about the Captain Marvel thing when the first time you see Captain Marvel, I'm still going to call him that until they come up with something better. Yeah. Uh I'm not just going to say shut <laughs> Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to call him fucking Shazam. That's a stupid name. Yeah. Uh I mean, I when I heard that they were bringing back uh, Captain Marvel, I was like, well, how are you going to get the Marvel family? Because I always like Mary Marvel and his other family members. And, I, and then I saw it like, oh. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, so. And I'm mad at myself that I'm not going to get to be surprised by that in the movie. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to have to tell Caveman to not listen to this podcast until after I drag him to the fucking movie. Yeah, 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 yeah you're going to. Yeah, it is. I mean, I was never not going to see it. No, I, I know. It's just, it is a really fucking solid reveal that is actually. It it does actually have, a kind of decent job, like actually setting it up and then having the payoff at the end. Yeah, I'm just upset at myself that I spoiled it for myself is all. Yeah, because like at the beginning, um, like like the wizard, uh, Jamon Hansu, uh, he gives Billy this whole speech. It's like, open your heart to me and I'll open mine to yours. Say my name. Let my powers flow through you. And then Billy's just like, okay, fucking Shazam. And then turns into fucking Shazam and then doesn't realize until the very goddamn end of the movie what that actually means. And it's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, fucking grab this. Say my name, dog. Say my name. Say and then fucking, like, it happens. And it's fucking great. Uh, the family, all they, they all have, like, a... Outside of... Outside of, like, fucking um, uh, Mary and Billy... 
all of the family members seem to have like specialized power kind of thing, like a like a, the the youngest one. Uh, let me just pull up their names again. Uh, I've got the book in front of me. Let me see if they list it. Is this the uh, African American girl or is this Darla. the younger? Darla. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Darla. She's focused on super speed. Um, Eugene has lightning. Has like like lightning shit. Uh, Freddie has the flying, and then uh, Pedro is like strength focused. Like it, it doesn't say that they can't use the other powers. It's just in the movie they seem to focus on that as those things. Yeah, which is you know that's fine. Yeah. Meanwhile, they, Mary they and Billy have the all of them. Yeah, which again I'm mostly fine with because I always kind of liked Mary Marvel. I've actually kind of trying to go back and read uh, uh, Jerry Ordway's series, which has a lot more of the intro- modern introduction stuff. Yeah, the stuff after like the the Steamboat Willie shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, so people have been posting that image around since uh, Captain Marvel, the, just Shazam, just came out, and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's you know, Superman has uh, Jimmy Olsen, Captain Marvel has uh, a eight faced black man who works the steamboat yard. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. The past, <laughs> the past sucks. Yeah, the past sucks. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but I've, so, always, I've always liked Mary Marvel, which is why I hated Countdown. So <laughs> yeah, Mary is yeah yeah Mary is in the role of you know the eldest, so she's the mom of the group. Yeah, the the one who's like, guys, behave. Yeah, yeah it's like if you don't if you do not stop bickering and get back to fighting these supervillains, I am going to turn this van around. But she's also not above having fun with the crazy superhero shit, which I like. Oh no, she is and... she's totally into it. Yeah, and if, if I don't know which issues we're talking about so far, if it's just the first one, uh, this is one through three. But okay, I've read those. Um, at some point, I want to talk about the end story at the end of the first issue because holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. So the the big idea with this is um is like this is pulling some stuff from the New Fifty Two where the Wizard Shazam uh, was uh, part of a council of wizards. Like seven wizards who guard the Rock of Eternity and, you know, magic, ma- all that magic shit. And so the Marvel family is the new council. Unfortunately, there's only six of them. Yeah. And, uh, and we, we meet the seventh one in the last book. Uh, well, the he, second book, he claims to be the seventh. Yeah, he claims he he claims he can fill that role. Yeah. But, so, uh, yeah. So going into this, so going into the book, um, they're, they have been like the Marvel family has been going around being superheroes in their fucking town for a while now. Like they are establishing themselves and they've also been spending more time in the rock of eternity, like mapping it out, trying to figure out what the fuck this thing actually is. Yeah. And in Which doing so it's into a very, uh, speaking of books I've talked about before, Alan Moore Promethea thing where they explore the seven realms of magic. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, which are which gets weird. <laughs> yeah, but the, but like it, it also is an, it also is a nice callback because uh, it is because they can access those seven realms of magic through trains. And yeah. Billy fucking found the original Rock Fraternity through a train. That's who was fucking called by the wizard. Uh, but yeah, so they decide to just kind of begin exploring the seven realms of magic and trying to get there and trying to like actually figure out what the fuck they're supposed to be doing. Uh, and so they, 
And so like the seven realms of magic are the Earthlands, the Funlands, the Gamelands, uh, the Darklands, the Monsterlands, the Wildlands, and the Wazenderlands. Wazender? Wazunder? Wazin? The fucking stupid name. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, this... And so they start out going to the Funlands, which are... Which is just this fucking giant amusement park. And anybody who has ever seen anything knows what the deal is here. They meet, yeah, a, like, yeah, they meet a young kid who's like, hey, I'm the king of the fucking, I'm the king of the woo. Y'all ready to fucking hang out and be nerds? But then, but then because, like, like because of that, once, they, once they're like, oh, hey, hey, Mary, she's 18. Oh, an adult. Yeah, like, uh, like, have you either read the original Peter Pan or Wonderland? Or um, did you have to read uh, Lord of the Flies when you were a kid? Because if so, you're uh, you know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is Yeah, the, the, the fucking king candy or whatever the fuck he calls himself. He's like, hey, I can feel that seventh seat. The second he finds out Mary is an adult, he's just like, hey, my tiny clown bit my tiny clown minions. Kill that bitch. At which point they all shazam up and he's like, you motherfuckers. You goddamn adults. I'm gonna kill all the all fucks. At which point they all get fucking splint. They all get fucking separated and shunted off to the different magic lands uh, with Pedro and Eugene. Uh, ending up in the Gamelands, which is like fucking Tron. And then Freddy and Darla ending up in the Wildlands, which is where the animal people live. And I'm guessing when there, they're going to be introduced to a friendly tiger man, because I'm pretty sure a tiger person is is like an old uh, Mar- Captain Marvel supporting character. Just a tiger in a suit. Yeah, so far, uh, this book has been really fucking good. Uh, this is Jeff Johns on form, where he is just writing a fun motherfucking comic book story. And is not trying to get fucking too deep with it. It's just, here is here is fucking comic books. Have fun with them. Yeah. Which is why I loved that the uh, back issue part of the first issue is just how shit Mary Marvel's how shit Mary's uh, birth parents were and how much happier she is with her foster parents. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was an issue in that Jeff Johns wrote something just that simple and elemental, not something like, Oh, her parents were like destined to bring her to greatness because they're part of some ancient cult related to the 52 worlds that seeks to bring back the monitor or some such shit. Nah, dude, it's just fucking simple. Her parents were shit. Her new family is cool. Yep. And with it, happiness. Yeah. And also potentially, uh, I, I can't tell based on the first few issues, is Billy's dad shit? I can't tell. <laughs> Assuming that's his dad, probably. Yeah. Like the idea that this, like probably what it's going to be is, it's going to be like, hey, it's like, hey, we're like not really doing, we're not really sure what the deal is with this guy. Guess the end, and it's going to be either, hey, I'm here for an insurance scheme, or I'm really your dad, and you can live with me. It's not going to be fucking good, but it'll be like not, it'll not going to be as good as what you have, but it's not going to be terrible. At which point, Billy's going to go, yeah, I'm cool. And the next fucking twelve issues is going to be a custody battle, or something stupid like that. I don't know. What's probably going to be happening is that fucking is that his dad is going to turn out to be the fucking like parallax or whatever. Yeah. Just bring that all back around. 
Now his dad's from Gemworld. Because <laughs> fuck, Gemworld is coming back in a weird way. Yeah, that's kind of like Dial H. The c- continued existence of di- of Pr- Princess Amethyst and and Gemworld is like, why? <laughs> yeah, like they're they're bringing that shit like, back. Like a uh, like it Young never Justice goes away. Like young, it was in the it was in pre New Fifty Two. It was in New Fifty Two. And now it's in fucking Wonder Comics. Does DC just really like Gem World for some reason? <laughs> I think specific writers like Gem World for some reason and keep trying to bring it back. But they and they're just like, yeah, fine, you're a fucking big name, whatever. Go hang out with fucking off branch Shira or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. Just Gem World keeps popping its fucking head back up. And then it keeps being like fucking slunk, like fucking shuffled off the table for less interesting but better received shit. So we'll see where that goes. But in the meantime, fucking we can still read Shazam and still have fucking fun with that. And you can watch Shazam and still have fucking fun with that. Shazam is the best movie that Warner Brothers has released affirmed like DC comic stuff since The Dark Knight. Yeah. Like, from what I've heard, it seems to be the first unabashedly, no-strings-attached good one. Like, Wonder Woman was good until the last act. Yeah, Aquaman is good if you can have fun with a bad movie. Like, Aquaman is good as long as you don't think. Exactly. It is It is a spectacle. But with fucking Shazam, it's just good. Just top to bottom, front to back. There are like there's like the occasional weird hiccup of like some of like some con- weird continuity thing like like I think at one point uh, the kids like, like the rest of the Marvel family they they clue into a piece of information about the villain that only Billy is supposed to have found out about which is weird but for the most part it is it is still complete is still 100% a good fucking movie that was put together by a solid writer, a solid director, a fucking great cast. And yeah, like you'll, you'll hear this, you'll hear this conversation. You'll hear this like comparison mentioned a lot in like different reviews for it, but it is very reminiscent of Goonies and like that era of kids movies. Yeah. Hopefully it's more updated than that. Cause I don't like Goonies. No, like when 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 we say it's like Goonies, we mean it is a kids movie that is not scared to show people some that's not scared to show, show kids some fucking dark shit. Yeah. Like one of the early scenes in that movie is like one of the early scenes of the movie is straight out of a goddamn horror film where fucking like he, where like Dr. Savannah walks in, throws a man out of a fucking window, has has his like fucking army of demons eat like fucking 12 people and then feed his dad to someone the movie starts with a fucking really goddamn realistic fucking car crash where his dad gets thrown through a fucking windshield and ends up just like fucking bloody and cut ups paralyzed from the waist down outside the car, just gasping for breath. Well, that's the first scene of the movie. Okay. then. Yeah. It's, it's a movie for kids that knows that kids can handle dark shit. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not the, it's not a kid's movie that talks down to kids. Yeah. That is kind of where the Goonie comparison comes in. Fair enough. Like my my biggest problem with Goonies is just well one the implausibility and two uh, the sexual politics of a lot of eighties movies even kids movies I kind of cringe at now like I watched Weird Science recently yeah and yeah that I, 
Uh, yeah. Uh, that movie has not aged well in to quote, a lot of ways. Uh, another, to quote another critic who's talked about other mo- similar movies, I, I would say that's what now that's what I call Yikes Volume Twenty. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So, like, I, I'm not opposed to like the mindset and the aesthetic, and like the theme, the kind of ideas of '80s kids movies. It's just some of the stuff that was more endemic in '80s movies in general. I'm. Yeah, no it it has it has like the feel of '80s movies, but with modern day fucking uh, like like modern day sensibilities. Yeah. But anyway, that's Shazam. Yeah. So, Birdie. So, speaking of uh, old stuff with modern day sensibilities, um, Section Zero. <laughs> okay. Any connection to Section Eight? Uh, no. Okay. All right. So, I bought the first issue of this when it came out on shelves because I kind of felt bad that. Uh, the writer, Carl Kessel, who made a really fucking awesome uh, Harley Quinn series in the pre-New 52 days, which I, I do recommend you read that. You should, Dead Man. Okay. Because it was basically, the it was kind of the start of the, one of the starts of the idea of Harley just doing whatever the fuck she wants in the DC universe. Uh-huh. And she goes on a road trip to Metropolis with Poison Ivy. Naturally. And they mind control Superman so they can, he can carry their luggage for them. Wasn't that an episode of Batman the Animated Series? Yeah, but they did it with Batman. Yeah, was, okay. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I, I came for the uh, the Dodson art. I stayed for the Kessel writing. Alrighty. But anyway, uh, as so I picked this up because I liked the concept and having read it, I still like the concept because this <laughs> is fucking amazing. <laughs> Okay. Because this is like... The closest comparison I could think of is like if you crossed like Johnny Quest with the Fantastic Four. Okay. Where uh, the main male... Uh, so the, the, the adult male lead, uh, his name uh, is... See if it's Sam. Uh, I can't remember his last name. If his last name's even been mentioned yet, Sam uh, Wildman. Yeah, but uh, you first see him with his laser sword fighting a head and prehensile prehensile insectide claws. Very nice in uh, Cambodia until a woman who. I'm going to call what would happen if you'd combined Reed Richards and Sue Storm into one person shows up to save his ass. <laughs> because she, she has says shit like, hold that pose, Sam. I want to remember you just like that as she has, as he's pinned down being about to be torn apart by the insect. Says, or you can move if you want, of course, then you'd just be hit by titanium band restraints too. Yeah, no, I'm just so kind of into that. I'm, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to like think of that comparison. So like a, compelling interesting character cross with a piece of evil toast well yeah because the reason i said combine those two is because she's a hard ass who cares about people but at the same time she's so about her experiments that um she'll just say shit where she's like look i'm i know we have shit to do but could i maybe get back to my experiments for a while i'm kind of busy 
Okay. Okay, yeah, I can see the comparison now. Yeah. And uh, the bug guy we discover is a Cambodian, Cambodian-American kid who... Remember when I was talking about Dial H, uh, stupid peer pressure shit? Yeah. Well, uh, this kid did the stupidest uh, uh, peer pressure teenage shit. Uh, he got a tattoo from an old Asian man at a tattoo parlor he could not find after he got the tattoo. Which, if he scratches, he turns into a half-insect man. <laughs> ah, good old magic. And to and to which the server revisit the parlor, I said, tried. It wasn't there. And Sam's like, what, it closed down? I was like, no, as in it was never there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as this conversation is happening, they are flying around in a literal U.S. flown uh, by a very stereotypical-looking alien with telekinetic powers named Tesla. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this all sounds and, really fucking cool. Yeah, and they're working for a branch of the government who is, of course, not on the up and up, but they work for the United Nations. And after, so this United Nations liaison comes to see Sam and uh, Tina is the doctor, the woman doctor's name about this. And they send their team to go investigate a series of uh, animal slaughterings and people disappearing in the in, the, in Australia. And uh, the moment he sends them off to do it, he immediately calls a shadow squad of special agents that he also sends to Australia. So he's clearly not on the up and up. <laughs> And the last thing, the last thing we see of, uh, and the last thing we see in this issue is uh, Tesla, who can speak, but like kind of limitedly, because he's like mostly telepathic and telekinetic. So he's in this cave, and Sam and Tina go in after him. He's like, "Here, there is something," and they're like, t- "They're both like Tesla. There's nothing here." At which point, he telekinetically blasts away the floor, and it's like, "Oh, there's a fish man." At which, at which point the issue just fucking ends on, hey, so this group of this group of random people who all wear shirts with like kind of random draw stylistic. Uh, I don't know what else to call it. It's like stylistic uh, designs on them. It's hard to tell. They're just all in this cave in the middle of Australia with a fish man who was buried in Australia for some reason. I mean, where else are you going to bury a fish man? Iceland. And I just, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. <laughs> Look, if you got a weird animal thing, you put it in Australia. Yeah. And it just seems like, like Carl, like, okay. So Carl Castle, uh, kickstarted the sequel series to this section zero 1959. Yeah, which uh, I'm also going to read once he starts releasing that. But I kind of felt bad that I didn't kickstart it, so I started buying the issues. And holy shit, I'm glad I did. Like between uh, the artist who uh, give credit to the artist, um, I think it's like Grummet something. Uh, he Tom Grummet is uh, the co-creator with Carl Kessel, the guy who's listed specifically as art. Uh, oh boy, this is not going to be a fun name to say. Uh, <laughs> ben Dimagmalu. <laughs> oh, that's a name and a half. 
Let me let me spell this out for you, and you can attempt it. Great content right here. Just no no sound as we look up names. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just like, but like, I just suffice to say, I like all this shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, you and I have both talked about series that scratch our specialty itches. This one scratches mine. <laughs> Between like the laser swords, the badass chick who's also a scientist, the kid who's also a bug man, the the intelligent alien who's telepathic. And the fact that they're just apparently just all of the shit from like classic sci-fi and monster movies is apparently just all going to be in here. I'm just like, oh, well, I should read all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not finding any uh, actual listing of that guy's name in anything. Like everything, everything that I'm finding listing of this fucking book is Carl Kessler on Carl Kessel writing, and then Tom Grummet on art. Okay. Well. Okay. Like, is he yeah, maybe like, like a colorist? Yeah, maybe he's colorist, but he's like, but like, they're both involved in, in story and art. So maybe, yeah, he is just covering the colors. But man, they've got lots of weirdly talented people just doing random shit for this book. Like Walter Simonson, George Perez, uh, Jerry Ordway. J- Jerry Ordway, Jim Valentino. <laughs> Which I think I think the Jim Valentino collection is just because this is produced by Shadow is being distributed by Shadow Line, which is a branch of D, of Image Comics that was mostly created by Jim Valentino to publish stuff like Bomb Queen back in the nineties. Yeah, but yeah, uh, hearty recommendation for this one. Well, alrighty then. And I think you, I, I really want to hear what you think. Dan. Yeah, okay. Oh, so I actually found uh so yeah, I found a list of I found out like the actual fucking uh, creator stuff here. Uh yes, so Yeah, so uh Ben Dimigmil I I am sorry, sir. Uh but yeah, he's coloring. Okay. Yeah, he's done color work for uh Wildcats, uh Wetworks, Danger Girl, Stormwatch. Yeah. I can kind of see that, actually, now that you say it. <laughs> yeah, and apparently he also did coloring for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, I can believe that. So, yeah. that's This all sounds really fucking cool. Yeah, like, I am... It's weird to... Like, of all the places you and I usually hear of comics, Kickstarter's a new one. <laughs> yeah, it's been happening a lot more lately. We're just like, I've been finding Kickstarter projects that I'm like, oh, if I had money, I'd actually contribute to this. Yeah, and I'm just glad this one got funded, and the least I can do is read the individual issues as they come out. Like, I never buy individual issues anymore. Yeah, that's... Yeah. This one I bought day of, day one. Alrighty. I just I just wish I had all the... This one doesn't have all of the covers in it, and some of the alternate covers for this sound really fucking cool. <laughs> Alrighty then. Say, so, hey, overall, pretty positive show this week. Yeah. It's nice to have those occasionally. Like, yeah, it started out rough, but... It, I mean, yeah, at some point we're going to have to start about talk about fucking Heroes in Crisis, but... Oh, don't worry. When we do that, I'll be dragging Nico back kicking and screaming. 
Yeah, and I will have something stupid prepared. Like, I forgot to mention this, Deadman. Um, as bad as uh, Planet of the Symbiotes is, I'm not sure if it's stupider than the time Super uh, Venom and Carnage fought literally in the World Wide Web. I was waiting for one of us to talk about a book that used the World Wide Web like that. Because, I mean, it yeah. fucking had to, man. Yeah. And it also explains one of the weird random books that uh, Linkara reviewed back when he started. Where it was just this random DC co- uh, Marvel Comics issue of someone who went into virtual reality and for some reason fought Venom and Carnage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And at the time, both he and I were like, what does this have to do with anything? And now with this context, I was like, oh... Less I know, stupid. and now I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just going to let you know, um, probably when we get to like Heroes of Crisis and Day- Doomsday Clock, like the actual shows about them, it's going to be like the ju- it's going to be like the fucking Injustice episode. Okay, fair enough. It is going to be a deep dive into these fucking books and what's wrong with them. All right. I mean, I will I, I'm not going to touch Doomsday Clock, but I will read a couple of issues of Heroes in Crisis so that I'm not completely coming at this blind but just from what little cultural osmosis i've gotten of heroes in crisis i don't want to read the rest this whole fucking book because it seems like a goddamn bummer oh it is it's also stupid well yeah but it's a it's a but like a combination of stupid in a different way than you would expect okay well i I guess i'll wait like you're not patient (laughs) you heard me and nico talk about that that harley quinn bit right and like issue two Uh, i think the, the one where Harley uh, beats up Batman, uh, beats uh, steals Wonder Woman's lasso, beats up Batman, and escapes all three of them just easily? Yeah, that one. Okay. It's that stupid. Like, all of it's that stupid? Like, that wasn't just, like, a okay, that, isolated... Okay. In fairness, that's the dumbest thing that's happened so far. Okay. But still, like, that is... That is a new layer. As a new level for me, I think. Fair enough. Especially with Tom okay. King. I, I mean, I guess... I mean, I'm sort of annoyed that the Tom King Batman issue that came out this week is essentially Tom King laughing at us for wanting a happy ending for Batman and Catwoman, where he writes a what-if issue where they were still getting married and Catwoman went off on a bachelorette party with Lois Lane and Super. That just sounds delightful. Yeah, and it's drawn. It's uh, it's uh, drawn by Amanda Connor. Is it still just doing that? Fu- is it still doing that thing that I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the game of it is yet? Where Batman is like unconscious, having nightmares or whatever. Yeah, no. He, he, yeah, it's still in like the nightmares thing, and I'm not clear why. <laughs> yeah, I do not know. I do not remember when it started or why. Like, has it given a reason yet, or has it just been like, hey, we got, hey, most recent issue. It's all a dream. It, it seems to be just like, this is how we're going to make Batman reach his lowest point, which, yeah, thanks, writers. I'm so, I'm so delighted to have another story with bringing Batman to his lowest point. Yeah, he thought we all know. We love Batman being sad. You're a good writer. Oh. Anyway, 
but yeah, when I prefer a dream issue to be real rather than just a dream issue, that's your sign. Yeah, yeah, that's a bad. Oh god damn it! Like, yeah, it was doomed, but like fucking six months, man. That's the DC standard. Yeah, like I, it should be a statement of the fact that um, Tom, I I saw Tom King post on Twitter that uh, he was in a cab somewhere and. He was in a, and uh, he put, he said he told the guy he wrote for Batman, and the guy listed all this Batman stuff that was awesome that other writers had done. <laughs> at which point the guy asked, "Well, what did you do?" And he said, "Do you remember the wedding?" At which point the guy goes, "Man, how'd you fuck that up?" Oh God, that's that's amazing. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Just a fucking random cabbie telling you your book's shit. <laughs> Oh, that's great. I wish I had heard that story to tell Nico, but I might just have to remember it for when we get to Heroes in Crisis. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get there. But anyway, that's good for this week, I think. Thank y'all for joining us. We'll be back. At some point, more of this shit. Until then, I'm dead. And I'm Birdie. We will see you guys next time.